Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to use one of the pew Bibles that are provided on the back of the pew in front of you. Uh, Our passage will be found on page 984. It's also printed in our bulletins uh, there on page 8. It has the text that we'll be looking at together this morning. Paul has been talking about a heavenly perspective. Uh, And it doesn't mean thinking about clouds or space travel, uh, but instead he's calling us to seek and to set our minds on things that are above. And Paul believes and calls us to see that these things that are above, these heavenly things, they have broken in upon us even now. And it's true that much of this is still hidden. And when Christ returns, it will be seen for what it is. That glory will be revealed in its fullness. But what he's emphasizing is that this new creation, heavenly life, is here now in some form. But what does that look like? That's the question that I wonder every day. (laughs) What does it look like? for heaven to have broken in upon what we go through each and every day. And Paul answers this in this section in an extended way. Last week, Nate showed us part of what this means. Our current situation is heaven's war, that God himself is joining with us in this war against those things within us still that are not heavenly and that have no belonging uh, in the age to come. And Paul uses that powerful imagery in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 3 that we have put off the old man, Adam, that, that man that we were all in that conscribes us to death, and we have put on the new man, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that new man is now being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. There is renewal, heavenly renewal happening even now while we live in this age that is passing away. But what we left off on last week is there in verse 11. And I know that's not printed there in your bulletins, but if if you're looking in your Bibles, you can just pop up one verse or I will read it here. But, But the point that we will see today is we're shifting from this scene of heaven's war that's at work within us individually, and now we're seeing the context of where this takes place. And what Paul is saying is this renewal of heavenly new creation life, it's happening in the context of a community. Notice what he says in verse 11. Here, which again means in this new man, in Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And so what Paul is going to unpack for us then in today's passage is that being in Christ is being now part of this new community. Here is where that in Christ is found. And that new community is one where those socio-political distinctions, the haves and the have-nots, they no longer define who we are because Christ is all and in all. And so we come together in his name. And what we'll see this morning in our passage is that it is here, it is in this community, 
the universal church, but in particular its expression in the local church, that heaven's ways, heaven's life, new creation grows in us as believers and is put on display to the watching world. And so if we wonder where we are to see heaven breaking in upon this age, Paul says, it's here. It's in this community. Now, I don't know how that strikes you. Uh, I personally feel Paul has a lot of convincing to do (laughs) because I know I'm a part of this community and I'm a mess. And to say that heaven is breaking in here, it's like, wait, how is that happening, Paul? Well, that's what our passage will unpack this morning. And so let's hear God's word in Colossians 3. I'll read verses 12 to 17, and then we'll pray and ask for God's help. This is God's word. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So far the reading of God's word. Please join with me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have spoken to us. You have spoken in your Son, the Lord Jesus, and we have his word, his message with us today, even dwelling in us by the Holy Spirit. And we pray that as it is preached and heralded, that you would help us as people who are of the dust, who are part of this age that is passing away, but have now been made part of the new heavenly man, the Lord Jesus, Would you help us to see him and who he is and what he has done and what he is doing in our lives even as we sit and stand here today? We ask that your spirit would help us illumine our hearts to see and believe the truth of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we'll look at this section this morning in uh, four points. And those points are all elaborating what kind of a community we are as this heavenly community that God is, is forging us into. And so those points are we are cl- a community clothed in Christ's character. Secondly, we're a community ruled by Christ's peace. Third, we're a community indwelt by Christ's word. And finally, a community acting in Christ's name. And so I'll uh, be mentioning those as we go along, but that just helps you know how, this, how Paul really breaks these things down. So first of all, let's see how this text shows us that we are a community clothed in Christ's character. And that begins at the, the beginning of our section there in verse 12. We can slide so quickly into this list of commands that we find and all these things to, to be doing that we miss that Paul begins with, even in these verses, he begins with who we are. And he starts with the community's identity right there at the beginning of verse 12. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. 
You see, the people who are part of this community, who are trusting in Christ, part of this new man, they are three things. We are chosen by God. And we know from our scripture reading that when God chooses people, it's not because of their stellar performance or how great we were, but freely because of his grace. We're chosen by God. And then holy, holy meaning set apart for God as his own. And in the process now of becoming holy, like our Heavenly Father is holy. And we're beloved. Being chosen and being made holy, it could sound calculating, couldn't it? That God is there in heaven saying, ah, sin happened, I still need people to worship me, so I guess I'll choose some of them. Ah, they have to be holy, I guess I can make that happen just to make this all work out. But Scripture consistently tells us that God's choosing and God's setting apart is not random or arbitrary, but it's because of his love. And did you hear that in our Scripture reading this morning in Deuteronomy 8, the the Lord setting, or Deuteronomy 7, the Lord setting his love upon and choosing people for himself. And then there's that beautiful term, choosing them to be his treasured possession. This has always been God's heart towards people, that he would be choosing them to be those whom he loves and he treasures, and now that is fully expressed for all those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these people, as part of that family and that community in the new man, this is who they are, this is who we are if we're in Christ, but now what are we called to do? And he goes on, and the first call there is to put on Christ-like virtues. Put on, then, Christ-like virtues. We see this as verse 12 continues. Now, having put on the new man, which is Christ, we're to put on the virtues of this new man. And if you remember from our passage last week, Paul told us, he gave us two lists of five things to be putting off. And here, not surprisingly, he gives us a list of five virtues to put on instead compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, we could do a deep dive into all of these, and I encourage all of us as believers to be pondering what these mean, but for the sake of this morning, let this list just form a picture in your minds of this conduct. And realize that this picture is the exact opposite of the previous list that talked about how we tend to possess others um, in a coveting way, to use them for ourselves. And then when they fail, we punish them with anger and gossip and slander. This is the exact opposite of that. It's a posture of deep care for the situations of others. It begins with compassionate hearts. And then seeing and caring about the situation of others and being moved toward that in compassion, the response then takes that into account and those responses are kind. We consider what others are going through as we interact and respond to them. And in contrast to this life that he mentioned before that's all about the pursuit of self and our own desires, this life is like Jesus' example in Philippians 2. It's humble, putting others' interests above our own. And it's meek, which one commentator defines as not overly impressed with one's (laughs) self-importance. 
Our self-importance is not the first thing on our minds, but instead the importance of others as image bearers of the living God. And finally in this list, it has the long game in mind. It's patient. It can move slowly with people who are weak and fail because it sees God's work as what's more important than what we want other people to be doing for us. And so here's the list. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. What comes to your mind as you hear that list? I think what should come to our minds is the greatest Sunday school answer of all, right? (laughs) Jesus. He perfectly embodied all of these virtues toward others while he was here on earth. And as we read and ponder what took place in the Gospels, we see this list on display. But another thing that I think we need to realize as we hear this list that's even more amazing, I think, is that Jesus revealed the Father to us didn't he? And that means that God's heart toward you is everything that's on that list. In studying this passage, I have gone through different phases of what it's doing in my heart, and one of them has been conviction of my lack of these things, how much I need to grow, kindness, meekness, patience, compassion, And so while that's true and I need to grow in those things, do you know what's problematic, though? It's the voice in my head that recites that list to me. Do you know what that voice sounds like? It sounds kind of like my voice, but the tone is, be compassionate, be kind, be patient. It's none of those things toward me. And so what I wonder as I think about this is, could it be that part of my problem in being conformed to this list, could it be that part of our problem in being conformed to this list, if you struggle as I do, is that we don't believe that this is how God is. And we don't believe that this is how God treats us. That he's kind. That his heart is compassion. That he knows what we're going through that he's humble. He is all about our interests and our concerns and self-giving towards us for our good. And he's patient, 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 patient with all of our weaknesses and failings. And so this whole list is really just a call to put on Christ and to treat others the way that God treats us in the Lord Jesus Christ, as those who are chosen and holy and beloved, isn't it? But this list of virtues isn't the end of Paul's put-on language. So we're still in point one, just in case you're curious, this um, putting clothed in Christ's character, but we're putting on this list of five virtues. But then if you jump down to verse 14, Paul resumes this put-on language. And and what he says is just amazing. He says in verse 14, and above Um, And above on these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And really, we could boil this down to put on the outer coat of love. (laughs) We're to put on Christ-like virtues, but then here he's saying put on this outer coat of love. 
this imagery is just amazing. It, love is this central piece of the wardrobe, is what Paul is saying. And when it's put on all of those other virtues, they fit together. And it brings the body of Christ together in perfect unity and harmony. You could think of a suit, uh, a men's suit. I tried to think of a correlation in another world, but I just don't have the mind to comprehend it. But like a a suit that a man wears, when the jacket is put on, everything else works, doesn't it? If it's put together rightly. The colors complement each other. The textures of the jacket and the shirt and the tie, they call your eye to the differences. Everything's in perfect proportion as just enough of the shirt is showing here and here and just enough of the tie. And then the pocket square catches your eye and draws you in. What's holding all of that together? It's the jacket. As you get older, it's holding more together than just uh, all that stuff too. It, It functions well, right? And so... As faulty as that image may be, love is this outer coat that people first see in us. And it is what binds all of those Christ-like virtues together and helps them to be suited, pardon the pun, to the person who's before us, right? As we put on love, it brings it all together. In the morning, one of the habits I have is to check the weather on my phone to consider what I should wear. Is it going to be hot? Is it going to be cold? Do I need to wear layers, as so many days here we do? As Christians, what Paul is saying is we don't need to wonder what to wear as Christians. The forecast is always the same. No matter who we will encounter, no matter what the Lord may call us to that day, we're to put on the heavenly attire of those who are chosen, holy, and beloved in Christ. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and above all that, tied together with that coat of love. That's how we're to dress as those who are in Christ. Well, it can be easy to hear this, and especially in a sermon that's entitled Heavenly Community, and to think that if we all just did point one, then everything would be perfect in the church, right? No tension, no problems. But that is not the case. And Scripture doesn't even expect it to be. That's not how heaven works itself out here, is by everything just being rosy once we walk in those doors even with the overcoats of love being put on. And we see this in our second point. We're not only a community clothed in Christ's character, but we're secondly a community ruled by Christ's peace. We see this in verse 15. It says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. I find it's easy to miss the significance of this verse, and and I think the reason is the wording may not be how we normally think. But that second phrase there, to which indeed you were called into one body, it really orients us and it shows us the goal of what's happening here. Because what Paul is saying here is this, God has called us into one body, the body of Christ. And he's done so with the goal that the peace of Christ, that the peace of Christ as our Messiah would rule in our hearts. 
And that word rule there, it carries the idea of being the umpire of something. That Christ's peace would be the deciding vote, that it would be the one making the call of that's in or that's out in this community. And hearts here, when I hear it, I think immediately of just merely internally, but it's not just that. Hearts here refers to our whole being. And so if we put all that together of verse 15, what it's saying is this. God has designed the church, the body of Christ, to be the place where Messiah's peace is seen as breaking in upon us now. And that happens internally as we now know that we are at peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it happens externally as Messiah's peace is now the umpire of how we treat one another in this body. And so as far as it depends on us, as Paul says in Romans 12, the goal of our dealings with one another is that they would give a glimpse of the peace that Messiah is bringing to the world. And so this doesn't mean, though, that everything is easy. And far from it, actually, right? And this takes us back up to what I skipped over before in verse 13. Because verse 13 really tells us the ways of this peace, which are bearing with and forgiving each other. Verse 13 says, bearing with one another, and if someone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So these are the means that we use for heaven's peace to be happening here. Bearing with one another means in its very essence that there will be things about others that are difficult for us. If not, we don't have to bear with anything. (laughs) So it necessitates the otherness, the, the difference. There will be others in our church community who we would not naturally and normally choose to associate with. And God designed it that way. There will be people who value different things than we do. People here who structure their lives in different ways or may say, life's supposed to have structure? Um, that's, that's my own issue. Um, there will be people who have opinions that are the opposite of yours. There will be people who look to those in society as heroes that you consider enemies. That is what this entails. But because we know that God has brought us together on purpose, we bear with these things. Because God's goal and design isn't uniformity, it's peace among a diverse, varied body of people that he's brought together so that when it's looked at from the outside, it says something from heaven is going on there because these people would not love each other apart from a work of God. And notice that it's not just that people will be different from us and can be hard for us, but even when we're trying our best, even when every day we're saying, how can I put on that outer garment of love? We will sin against each other. Verse 13 says, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. A complaint here. Is not something you write on Yelp. It's, it's, a, it's a grievance where someone has wronged you and has sinned against you. And forgiveness when wronged is supposed to be our way as Christians. Now, I just want to pause for a moment because there can be complicated questions of what that forgiveness 
and in particular, what reconciliation with a forgiving heart looks like. That's a, that can be a very complicated thing based on the response of the other person and a whole bunch of other things. Sometimes it's having an attitude of forgiveness, but not being able to fully reconcile because of things that are beyond your control. But the Lord Jesus has forgiven us, and that means that we are a forgiving-oriented people, doesn't it? This coming Wednesday is May the 4th, and that is a popular day for Star Wars fans. I have a lot to learn about Star Wars because I was too scared of it as a kid, and so I'm just starting to watch it uh, with my children, and it's a big galaxy to comprehend. Um, But I have enjoyed watching the series The Mandalorian. And for those of you who haven't seen it, it's a story about this lone gunfighter who wears really cool Baskar armor, and he's kind of this space cowboy bounty hunter of sorts. And he's existing in the galaxy by catching bad guys and, and bringing them back. But his name is not the Mandalorian. He actually has a name. He's from the planet Mandalore, and he was raised in the way of the Mandalore. And the way of the Mandalore is a code of behavior and traditions. And so according to that code, he can never allow another living being to see him without his helmet. And so he wears this shiny, amazing Baskar helmet all the time in the presence of people. According to that code, he protects other Mandalorians, and especially the foundlings, which are those who have been taken in under the care of the people of Mandalore and raised according to its code. And throughout the series, we're reminded of this code that he adheres to because he says, this is the way. This is the way. And when he does, it's often at pivotal scenes where following the way of the Mandalore will come at great cost to him. He consistently makes hard choices and does things for a code that goes beyond himself because of the way. And others don't understand it. (laughs) They're baffled and sometimes make fun of him because he's so committed to it and they try and take off his helmet and, and do all these other things. But you come to learn that he himself was once a foundling and he was cared for and raised in the Mandalorian way. And in a galaxy that's ruled by self-interest, everybody out for themselves, or let's just have enough power to make everything work out, his commitment to the way, it just stands out in every episode. Well, Paul says that our code Our rule, our way, is the peace of Christ. It will come at great cost to us. It will not make sense to others. The world will look upon us and say, these people are so different from you. Jews and Gentiles, barbarians and Scythians, why don't you guys separate and just make your own churches A church for the slaves, maybe, and a church for the free, a church for the haves, and a church for the have-nots. Or just use your power in society to make everyone else think and act like you. But we say, no. God has called us together to show heaven's peace. And so we bear with one another. This is the way. And the world may look on and say, that person has wronged you. 
they have really hurt you. You should write them off or you should hurt them back and send the tweet and make them pay. And we say, no, the Lord has forgiven me, so I will extend forgiveness to them. This is the way. And as striking as it is for a Mandalorian to live a life wearing this helmet of Baskar, following the way, Paul says that it's even more striking. It's more glorious. It's in fact heavenly for Christians to go through this world clothed in the love of Christ and ruled by the peace of Christ. Have you lost sight of God's way? It's so easy because everything is pulling us to a different way, isn't it? But Jesus welcomes you back to walk in the way that he has and continues to treat you. Well, as I hear that and think of how radically countercultural all of that really is, the question that it raises for me is how can we be expected to continue in a way that's so different from everything around us? And Paul goes on to describe what empowers and what equips us to live according to this way in this community. We find that in our third point. It's a community indwelt by Christ's word. And we see this in verse 16. A community indwelt by Christ's word. It says in verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We may hear word of Christ and we may just think scripture. And while that is true, all of scripture is the word of Christ, we can miss the emphasis that Paul is drawing out here. When he says the word of Christ, it's reminding us that Christ is the content of all of scripture. Jesus said that the scriptures bear witness about him in John 5. All of scripture is testifying about what it means to live in life with God and that comes through the Lord Jesus. And that word, that message of Christ, who he is and what he has done, it's to dwell in us richly. And this isn't a lifeless dwelling like taking the word, setting in your home, and saying, see, it's dwelling among us. (laughs) It's a way more loaded concept than that. Just as the word of God dwelled among the people of God in the tabernacle, as it was contained in the Ark of the Covenant, and God spoke from above the Ark, and that formed out a people, and that transformed a people, and as they adhered to that word, it was God's testimony of light to the world, so also now we as the temple of the living God are now indwelt by the word of God as the spirit of God is in our hearts. And the spirit is using the word of Christ to not only bring us to saving spiritual life when we hear the word and are converted, but to make us into people who are more like Jesus in a community that bears witness to heaven in the midst of a lost and dying world. It's that word that does that. And so the way that this happens, uh, Paul says here, is really twofold. It's through wise instruction and it's through thankful singing. First of all, notice the wise instruction. 
the word of Messiah dwells in us richly as we're teaching and admonishing one another. Earlier in chapter 1, Paul says that he does this as an apostle to present everyone mature in Christ. Here we see that this isn't just something that the apostle Paul does or something that the elders do. We see that this is something the whole body of Christ is involved with. Teaching is this positive presentation of the message of Christ. Admonishing is more the warning about straying from the truth of the way of Christ, right? So teaching is positively building it up. Admonishing has more that that warning tone to it. And while often not in an upfront way, like I'm doing here right now, the whole body, men and women, young and old, are called and equipped to teach one another about the word of God and to correct one another with that word. Now, some of you may think, whoa, (laughs) that's a bit too weighty for me. I can't teach anyone about the word, and correcting is definitely something I do not like to do. And on the one hand, I appreciate the humility in the list. But on the other hand, God says this is how it is. And so understand what's going on here. God is teaching you things in the word as you walk with him. And he calls you to be able to share those things with the body as you have opportunity. And as you see another going astray in a way that maybe you've been tempted to go astray or you have gone astray yourself, it's warning others of the danger of that way. You see, God's word is so living and powerful and life-changing that he calls us to bear it to one another. Because it's not about necessarily our methods or our savvy, but it's about the word doing its work among us. And so some of us think, whoa, that's far too weighty. Others may think, aha, (laughs) this is what I've been waiting for. Teach and admonish. That gives me license to just let people have it. I can share the truth as I have come to know it. Just in case anyone here is thinking like that, or to alleviate our fears of those who may do it in this way, notice that it says, in all wisdom. Every instruction we give and every correction we give is to be presented wisely in the right time, in the right way. And remember, it's all still happening with this outer garment of love and the clothing of a compassionate heart and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. That's the context that all of this is to be said and done to one another. And I think we can all admit that we in the church have failed many times to remember all the clothing that goes on to carrying out this command. But closely connected to this, is another way that the word dwells richly among us through wise instruction and secondly, through thankful singing. Through thankful singing. We'll teach more about singing and worship in an upcoming sermon series and then when we have a Sunday school class on why what we do, what we do, why we do what we do in worship. We'll think of a better title than that because it's obviously hard to say. But I just wanted to highlight a few things from this verse that shape what we do here at GBC. Notice that in this passage, singing is a word-enriching activity. 
This means that there's a criterion for all of our songs. That's that they're in accord with Christ, that they're true to Scripture, that they're highlighting the gospel. And that's something that we've been committed to from the beginning and will be committed to for as long as this church stands. We also believe that this is done through a variety of types of songs. Some will argue that psalms and hymns and spiritual songs are three ways of just referring to Old Testament psalms, and that that's all that we're to, to sing. But we, along with many others, don't find that um, convincing, although it is great to sing the psalms, and um, it is a great thing to do. Instead, we view this phrase as indicating a variety of types of music and song. The psalms in this list are the words of the psalms of the Old Testament put to music, just like we did with all people that on earth do dwell. Hymns are likely other scriptural songs like we seem to find in Colossians 1 and Philippians 2. And spiritual songs, songs that the Spirit illumines believers to write about biblical truth. And so this is more, though, than just putting instruction to music. It's not just singing theological lecture notes, (laughs) even though there's a, a content to it, it's with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And that phrase really means that it's singing that's captivated by the grace of God. It's come to us in the word of Christ and that we are thankful with our whole selves for that grace and we respond out of that. So if we just put this together, As we live in this world that is driven by love of self rather than the love and peace of Christ, what keeps us ruled by Christ's peace? What is it that continues to dress us in his love and Christ-like virtue? It's that word of Christ that reverberates among us as God's people. It's in us, and the Spirit is using us to teach and admonish one another in it. And as we sing in response to this message of Christ every week and and during the week, you may not think that your voice is very heavenly. And the music may not always be perfect or even according to your style and taste. But God is using that singing to bring heaven to earth in this community and as a message of Christ that transforms us and holds out life and hope to a dying world. And so that leads us to our final point. This work of Christ is so profound that it doesn't just stop here with one another or what we do on Sundays, but God is making us into a community that is acting in Christ's name a community that is acting in Christ's name. And we see this in verse 17. In whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul goes out of his way to show how all-encompassing this final command is. Did you hear it? In whatever you do, in word or in deed, if it's acting or if it's speaking, do everything, he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, what does that mean? In the Old Testament, the name of God referred to his presence and his character. 
And the call of the Old Testament was for the people of God to live out of an awareness of God's name, of his presence among them, and his character that he was seeking to form them into. And so also we find that now we as believers are called in everything that we do to be shaped by this awareness of the Lord Jesus' sovereign presence in our lives and of the character that he has and the character he is seeking to conform us to. What an amazing calling, isn't it? That everything that we do can bear witness to the name of the Lord Jesus. Often before a sermon or as I'm leading the service, I will pray that the Lord will help us or call you to not be thinking ahead to the things that are going to happen later in the day or this week. Here I'm breaking that rule. Take a moment. Think of what's coming next. Think of what you have going on today. Think of what this next week may entail. All of it, every word, every action, even the most mundane task can be done in the name of the Lord Jesus in a way that knows that you are his and that he is present with you as you're doing those things. And he, in the midst of those things, is seeking to make you more like him so that others can see heaven breaking through in your life. You see, the wonder of this gospel is that it comes to us and it shapes us. It shapes us here with one another. And as the word reverberates among us, it's, it's shaping and molding us. But it does so that, so that we can go out there as those who are followers of the way and hold out heaven's light to a world that so desperately needs to see it. Well, as we conclude, we haven't talked about it, but this passage has repeatedly mentioned thankfulness. You may have noticed that as we were going through it. And it ends with this, and in all this, giving thanks to God the Father through him. How do you hear what we have been talking about this morning. Do you think, wow, I have a long way to go? (laughs) If you do, you're in great company. If it is any comfort that that's what I'm thinking. (laughs) I don't know if that's great company or not. But you're not alone, at least. We all have a long way to go, right? But Jesus invites us to repent and to come and to be clothed in these things But the passage says, don't stop there. It's not about just go and do this better. Paul says that the fitting response to all of this is what? It's thankfulness. Because this list is not about how to climb your way into heaven. It is a description of how the God of heaven has come down to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. God came to those who deserved hell and who were filled with hellish ways. And he chose us for himself. And he set us apart as holy. And he's making us holy because he loves us and he wants us to be fit for dwelling with him forever. And through Christ, he not only saves us from hell, and wars against the hell that remains in us. But he takes us. He takes us in all our weirdness, 
and our weakness and our proclivities to sin and battles with it. And he takes all that and he says, this is a community where heaven has broken in. It's not perfect, but it shows forth the gospel of a God who does this. And what do we do? We say, thank you. (laughs) Because all of this is a gift. We're thankful as the peace of Christ rules among us more and more, and we get any glimpse of that shalom in this world. We're thankful as the word of Christ dwells in us richly and as it shapes us that somehow we get glimpses of the character of Jesus in one another and we say thank you. And we're thankful that in all that we do, from the most significant to the most trivial, we now are called to act bearing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. May God fill us with that gratitude until our Lord Jesus comes and we experience the fullness of heaven breaking into all things. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, this word of Christ. We pray that it would dwell richly within us. Help us to believe the truths of what we've heard today. Thank you for loving us enough to do all of this for us and calling us to this task. We pray for strength in it until that glorious day. Will you give us the faith to believe and walk according to our Lord Jesus Christ? It's in him we, his name we pray. Amen.